to The Sleeper and the Bust. This is episode number 183. I am your host, Nicholas Minix, and joining me as usual is Eno Cyrus. Eno, how are you today? I'm doing well. Excellent, excellent. Uh, in case no one has heard, there has been a lot of news, and uh, we like to talk about all this news. It's incredible how much news there has been, uh, but that's what happens at the MLB winter meetings. Um, we have a lot of really cool request topics and questions and things like that. Um, but unfortunately we will be delaying some responses to those because, uh, we want to get to all these newsy things. So we have a great way to con you into listening to the next show or two as well, uh, because we want to get to your questions too. But, uh, we want to get to these newsy topics and uh, start with this happened within a day of our last podcast with Matt Kemp trade San Diego. You know, you're not big on this move. Um, I mean, I'm not big on Matt Kemp's value post move. Yes, that's what I'm sorry. Yes, I should be a lot clearer with that. <laughs> but um, uh, I'm actually maybe a little bit more... Um, a little bit more positive about him, um, you know, about the trade uh, and the and the Padres perhaps needing to do this because they can't really attract uh, offensive free agents. It's something that came up in my interview with David Forrest, uh, the AGM for the A's, is that it's hard uh, to attract um, free agents. So I think that the uh, A's were probably talking to Headley and, and um you know, I had, had some issue with that. So, um, hmm, you know, I think, I think that, uh, you know, if you can't uh, sign them, uh, then you have to trade for them and bring them you know, in against like, their will. Huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and as much as I think Grandal is about to break out, um, uh, <clears throat> as much as I think that Grandal is about to break out, I don't, I don't, uh, and, and I like him better in, 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 LA people were saying that that's a pitcher's park too but it's not the same as San Diego so yeah, it certainly is not uh, yeah and he he fits a lot of the bill that Devin Masarocco does where he you know it took him a little time uh catchers take time um he was a previously well thought of prospect um that had higher sort of isos in the minor league and better uh, plate discipline in the minor league but still had decent plate discipline in the major leagues decent power um so I see that as I'm saying that he still has upside left Hasn't had great batted ball luck yet. So, you know, if he puts it all together, uh, he can. I think he can do a lot, uh, something almost exactly like Devin Masarocco this year. Uh, as for Matt Kemp, you know, you have, to, you have to subtract a couple homers, but you have to also remember that even like a, it's sort of like a 10% change in park factors, it's a big deal. Uh, it might mean two homers um, when you're talking about a 25-homer guy. Yeah, so, that's true. That's true. Now, I think, uh, I mean, what's also, obviously, I think what's also beneficial for, I guess the pop, the park factors in San Diego have certainly improved since they changed things with the fences, but um, the Dodger Stadium plays a little better even uh, for left-handed hitters in general, uh, and Grandal is a switch hitter. So I would think that, that I mean, overall, even the park factor, park factor for him is especially is, is slightly better there, too. Um 
but you, and you also noted that the Padres seem to have trouble keeping guys healthy. Do you think that that's kind of a um, that's what the data like? Is it? Do you think that they just happen to have more injury prone players, or because they just, yeah, they they populate DL lists quite frequently? Carlos Quentin probably already put you behind the eight ball uh, when it comes to things like that, uh, and Andrew Kashner and uh, yeah. and Josh Johnson. I mean, they certainly have a couple of dudes. I, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm not in San Diego, so there right. might be this sort of stuff. But in, in New York, like the Mets have a pro or have had a problem with keeping people healthy for sure. Right. Uh, and that it manifests itself easily when you hear things like um, Ike Davis saying, uh, "Oh, it's just a flu," and then it turns out it's Valley Fever. <laughs> and other things like um, you're starting to check medical licenses and stuff. Yeah, I mean. It's weird because they have uh, the, the the actual hospitals they use in New York are, you know, I, I don't know if I'm a, the best in America, but among the best in America. I mean, it's just it's just how New York is, and um, so it's not the hospital's fault. I think there's a, a sort of communication issue sometimes with the Mets, mm -hmm. and um, and maybe uh, maybe the decision when to send them to the hospital is not always made at the right time and stuff like that. So. Uh, there's a lot. It's hard to like sort of pinpoint when there's an issue. Is it with the coaching staff? I mean, I love Bud Black. Um, I, I don't. I doubt that he's pretty much all about communication and stuff. So I doubt that he's uh, that he's the root of the cause. Training staff. That's a black box. I have no idea what's going on there. So yeah. I wouldn't worry too much about that. It was just a sort of a way to bring up his injury history. Yeah. Which um, which has to be thought of. It, it, you can't. You can overthink it though because. You know, I, there's like this great Rob Arthur piece where he talks about uh, doing a regression analysis for for predicting DL um, time for position players. And, you know, if you follow that and you do it for camp, I think you, you only get like 15 to 16 days missed. Um, oh, OK. So, you know, maybe he gets on the DL once. Maybe it's a small thing for a hammy or or uh, or maybe gets hit by a pitch or something. I mean, it, it, you know. He does have an injury history, but it, it, it doesn't – I'm not sure that it yet uh, is a reason to not draft him at all. Is it a right. reason to ding him a little bit? Yeah. Uh, you know, project him for 550 plate appearances maybe. Uh, project him for, you know, 22 homers instead of 25. Uh, project him for six stolen bases. But even at that sort of 550, 275, uh, you know, 22 and 6 – uh, he's going to be relevant. He's going to be uh, a, a good outfielder, you know, as long as you're not paying name value. Um, then, yeah, I think uh, the name value might be the only thing that. I mean, it's going to be interesting. I think he's a he's going to be just a a, diff, a difficult player to handicap because it's the name value may carry more than it really needs to. I don't know. I don't know what to see. In that. Um, I mean, Milky Cabrera is a player that doesn't have quite the same kind of name value um, and he's moved to the White Sox seems pretty good. I mean, what, what he, but he was a great fantasy player this past season. Um, how do you, I mean, this seems like something that could really kind of shoot up his value, but it's not really different from a from where he was in Toronto. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you know, uh, showed good power there. Um, he's just really hard to analyze. I'm sorry. It's just, you know, it's just, the elephant in the room sort of situation with him. But, right. um, uh, you know, if he follows uh, normal aging curves, he's 30, um, you know, he probably will steal fewer bases next year, um, you know, hit a few, you know, a little bit fewer homers. Um, 
you know, it, it is interesting to note that even that this uh, sort of post-suspension um, uh, revamp or sort of you know come back to uh, to relevance. Uh, his uh, batted average, batting average on balls in play hasn't been as otherworldly as it was with the Royals and Giants. Um, so, you know, maybe you can believe that he can hit, you know, have an, a Babbitt over 300, but it won't be, you know, in the stratosphere. So, you know, Steamer looks pretty good to me. I might actually take a, a stolen base or two away. Um, I might even take a, a couple of ticks of health off. And call him a you know a 285 hitter with uh, 13 homers, three stolen bases, uh, decent runs in RBI, and, and put him in that sort of 550 territory for plate appearances because you know he's had injury problems also. Yeah, that is true. <clears throat> that is certainly true, and uh, I mean it's not necessarily a, a great lineup around him, which you could probably say uh, was not. I mean, even though they're making upgrades across the board, uh, it's the doesn't mean it's necessarily reason to believe that it's a good team. Um, yeah. Will it be Melky and Alexei at the top, or will it be Eaton? And if it's Eaton, if it goes Eaton, um, you know, Alexei and Melky, uh, that's that's a lot of sort of light, sort of banjo hitters a little bit <laughs> at the top and uh, pushes Abreu down a little bit further than maybe he should be. Um, but that, that I guess that could be a lineup. If he's near the top of the lineup with those three guys and Abreu, Cleaning up, that's pretty good. But then it sort of goes south after that. I mean, um, I guess LaRoche, uh, you know, I think there's probably something I'm missing. But, um, you know, I, I, I think the lineup past uh, four or five um, becomes an issue. I mean, I'm not counting Tyler Flowers as much. Right. Um, the sort of Carlos Sanchez, Connor Gillespie situation is, is – uh, not great. Avisel Garcia as a five is pretty good because he's he sort of had that nation power and he doesn't really have the on base skills to be at the top. So I guess you go Avisel Garcia five, LaRoche six, um, and I think then it kind of falls apart. So right. you know, it's a it's an okay lineup, but it's not a great lineup, and I think he's he's leaving a better lineup. So mm-hmm. now <clears throat> uh, and in Miami. Uh, D. Gordon, Dan Heron. Uh, now, Dan Heron, the situation may kind of work itself out for us. There's probably not really a great need to look at him. We we, uh, we know what he is. But Gordon to Miami, it, it, this is not necessarily a situation. I mean, he's a, a switch hitter with speed. Um, still questionable on-base skills, but certainly has improved that. I'd be concerned. My primary concern would be the team that worked with him the most to get the team that worked with him to get him to where he is is no longer working with him. Uh, and now the uh, the Marlins kind of see, oh, he, well, he's a better player, and this is the guy that they scooped up um, <clears throat> uh, in in their trade uh, of Andrew Heaney, among others, uh, to get him. Well, I mean, from the Marlins' standpoint, it may not be a total. Um, it may not totally uh, damn Andrew Heaney because sometimes when you're close to a guy, you might overvalue, you know, uh, body language stuff. I heard that. Um, uh, then Haney kind of sweat bullets before every start. Uh, yeah, he was a rookie. I mean, geez, does that mean the rest of his life he's going to be, you know, totally nervous on the mound? Uh, <laughs> you know, from the, from the shape of his pitches, the velocity, and the outcomes, um, Haney still looks like he has ace-type ace upside for me. Uh, and uh, 
So they did trade away something big, but they, you know, they have a decent amount of pitching. I mean, they're starting pitching at some point in the season is going to be Fernandez, Latos, Ivaldi, Hendo. Uh, that's a pretty good uh, one through four, even without Heron. Mm-hmm. Um, and with sort of Cozart there and Rienzo and you know Nicolino, they've got they've got guys that can step in and be five and you know figure out that five spot. So. I guess they just figured they had the, the horses they needed there and they needed some offense. Um, maybe they have a problem attracting anything other than bounce back veteran um, offensive pieces. So, uh, yeah, I think that's kind of what's going on there. And, you know, in, in fantasy, I'll trade you uh, Andrew Haney for D. Gordon anytime. Yeah, certainly. Certainly. Uh, um, so, you know. And I wouldn't, well, and I don't even mean necessarily, I don't want to knock like the, the trade that the Merlins made. I mean, I think. Gordon is certainly a kind of at a peak value, but I guess in terms of you know the, his the dynamic aspect of his offense, it's not necessarily great. Um, but in terms, especially in terms of fantasy, uh, the Marlins may still have trouble manufacturing. I mean, this seems like a team that'll let them run wild. They they don't they probably will seem less concerned, uh, even less concerned if his uh, stolen base percentage wherever to kind of head south or something. He's just gonna he's there to, to when he gets on base go. Yeah, and you know, for what's worth, this is the team that always had Juan Pierre. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and now they got Juan Pierre again. Uh, he took to play second base. So uh, you know, Juan Pierre at second base is better than Juan Pierre. And Juan Pierre, you know, we all uh, you know felt a little dirty, but we all owned him. Um, so <clears throat> I'm, raising, think, I'm raising my hand. Yeah, a couple of times. Yeah. <laughs> We all had a one time or another. Uh, I unfortunately uh, waited until uh, he was super, super cheap and got the uh, the butt end of his career. Um, yeah, <laughs> but uh, he still got me, you know, 20, 25, 30 stolen bases a lot of years. So, uh, you know, I don't see. There was that one year where he was like, what, 16 for 49 in stolen base attempts or something like that. <laughs> and then nobody ever bought him again. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't see, I, I mean, with them trading for him and not really having any other options, I don't, I think the floor has actually gone up with the trade because the Dodgers had Guerrero, you know, they, they had to win. They had lots of depth. They had lots of pieces. So, um, I think that, you know, the floor in the, at the, with the Dodgers is back in the minors. Um, whereas the floor with the Marlins, I think is just a, probably a bad bo- batting average. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not yeah. even. Yeah, and I, like you said, he's going to run when he's on, so it's not even going to be really a low stolen base total. It's just there's a chance he hits 240. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and and the Marlins will certainly live with that, considering what they've had at second base before that. <laughs> uh, now, well, look, he stole 40 bases, <laughs> <laughs> and that's really all that matters, especially for us. Uh, now, big trade between. Well, semi-big trade between Detroit and Boston. Yoannis Cespedes is not a player we could uh, say we're big fans of. I mean, or not a player we've necessarily been big fans of uh, because it seems like the name uh, in the past couple of seasons has carried a little more weight than the production uh, and then the health. I'm, I'm not even sure what to make of this move, I guess, for him. But, I mean, it feels like... it you know, at least Cespedes is going to be part of a pretty good lineup. Like, it feels like this is probably a really good place for him to end up uh, if he's going to kind of deliver uh, pretty good value. Yeah, I mean, uh, we, didn't, we didn't get a lot of time with Boston. Um, and so I wouldn't 
point to his 154 ISO in Boston and say, mm-hmm. you know, are we going to overrate his um, his uh, his power outside of Oakland? Um, but because um, power <laughs> power in Oakland can, I mean, that kind of speaks some volumes, I would say. Yeah, he managed to have good power in, in Oakland, and then um, you know, and his his power away wasn't necessarily any better. Um, than his power at home. I mean, he had about a 200 ISO away um, and about a 200 ISO at home. So maybe maybe we shouldn't think too hard about it. But I do think um, it's possible that uh, he hits a few more fly balls. Um, he's kind of trending that way anyway. Uh, if you look at his ground ball to fly ball ratio, it was lowest last year. Um, and so, you know, he might, uh, you know, continue that trend and try to hit it out of Detroit because it'll be a little bit easier than hitting it out of Oakland. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you might see sort of a return to 2013 when he hit 240 and hit 26 homers. Uh, I could see that easily happening. Um, and uh, I guess that would be overall very close to, you know, hitting 260 or 22 homers. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Not that different. Uh, so... Um, I think uh, I'd, I'd, I'd say about the same for him. The only thing I'd say is the boat has sailed on him being useful uh, or being uh, being an asset in on-base percentage leagues. It's that's that's out the door. He's he's not. I mean, he's steamer three nineteen, but uh, the last two years he struggled to get uh, near three hundred on-base percentage. Yeah, the walk rate has been disappointing, and I don't think that's going to change so much that he suddenly becomes. Uh, at least even uh, kind of a break-even player in OVP leagues. And if he starts hitting more fly balls, that BABIP, the uh, steamer 301 BABIP is, is going to be too high. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. So. Now, meanwhile, now Boston gets Rick Porcello. This is a, I mean, I know you're not, this is a pitcher in general, you're not, uh, I mean, I've, I've seen some some people be absolutely in love with the Porcello Um I mean, I, I'm not. He, he's you know obviously he's, people love the ground ball rate. That's nice and uh, low walk rate. I mean he has some great pieces and overall the move to Boston is not necessarily. I mean it's not a bad thing, and, and I would assume that the defense in Boston can be better. Uh, so in theory that's not that's curve that, was a big deal. I think that the curve was a big deal. He added that uh, mm-hmm. in 2014, and um, he throws it. Uh, almost as much as his changeup against lefties. Um, and I think that just gave him another look. Um, you know, he was very much sinker change against lefties, and he told me that that, that just made the uh, batter sort of hang out the, the outer half um, and try to go the other way against him. Um, and uh, with the curve now, you can bust him inside. And uh, I think that's been a big difference for him. <clears throat> so, um, you know, I think... Uh, I think he's more prepared now to have a complete arsenal, um, and yeah, he could he could have uh, the best batting average on balls in play that he's had in his career in Boston. Um, that would be a big deal. Uh, so if he can keep his walk rate down, he's had a great one. The problem is, if you just look at his career, it's like four four and a half ERA um, every year except for last. Right. Uh, the. It's. I, th- I mean, I think that there there may be a, t- a temptation if you uh, project. I mean, there may be a t- temptation to regress it to something close to four again, uh, and he could really keep a lot of these gains, especially if he adds some strikeouts back. 
Um, but it's like, what is the, we, we probably kind of already saw pretty close to the ceiling unless something else changes, right? But at least he's still young. I mean, that's, I suppose that's possible as well. I don't uh, know Porcello enough to say that he can't add another pitch or, or do something with a pitch that gives him more strikeouts. But um, unless he does something like that, like we probably saw kind of the ceiling. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. That was the ceiling, I think, because there really isn't another pitch for him to develop. And, you know, at, at his age, I mean, he's 25, he could, he's young, so he's just not uh, young enough to improve velocity. He's already, uh, velocity's already dropping off. He's already, so he found a good, he's already always had a good change. Now he found a good uh, curveball to put with it. I don't, I don't see what he can do. Um, really, he, you know, he's, he's, he's mucked around with his, uh, four seam, um, two seam mix. And, and, you know, last year was the, the most four seamers he's ever thrown. Um, you know, maybe he goes back to a few more two seamers, uh, and the ground ball rate goes back up to the mid fifties. Um, that should mean fewer strikeouts. Um, and then, you know, maybe he goes back to about five strikeouts per nine and, and, you know, takes away value there, you know, great defense behind them gives him maybe a 280 Babbitt, you know, he hasn't really ever done that. So with the 280 Babbitt, you know, five to six strikeouts per nine and a mid three ZRA and then more wins, um, you know, in Boston, maybe, I mean, you know, Detroit was a good team for him. So <laughs> yeah, I think last year, you know, 15 wins, 343 ERA. I can't imagine he's going to be any better than that. Yeah. <clears throat> now here's, here's one I'm interested definitely here to take. I mean, I, we could get into what what uh, what might we might make of uh, Chad Wallach and Anthony Desclafani. Those are the pieces um, that ended up in Cincinnati. Um, but uh, most people, at least for the the foreseeable future, will be interested in uh, what or how this ends up for Matt Latos uh, in Miami. Uh, I'm interested here to take because obviously, I mean, injuries played a big part in what his 2014 outcomes look like, uh, but. Still, I mean, I still think that there's reason to believe that his quality, he, I mean, he lost velocity, but increased strikeouts, or, I mean, they were at, at, at times. Uh, overall, his, Latos was a pitcher I liked. The, the, the health is a concern, uh, but, I mean, the move to the ballpark, he's always been a pretty big fly ball pitcher. The, the, this this seems like a pretty exciting move with the combination of the fact that uh, health kind of really depresses value. The only question, of course, is health going to continue to be a problem moving forward, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, we try to slice and dice um, the, the numbers and, and tell you... Uh, uh, we try to slice and dice the numbers and tell you that maybe, you know... Heavy slider guys are more DL bound, but the, really the number one thing and the only thing you can really uh, hang your hat on is previous injury projects uh, future injury. Um, so you know that's uh, that's not a good thing for him. He's had shoulder stuff all the way back to 2011. Uh, he had shoulder stuff in the minors in 2008. So um, you know the shoulder is. I'm sure at some point they're going to look in there and see spaghetti. So. Uh, and also I don't love his makeup and I, and I don't, I think that, you know, the velocity going, yeah, I think you should probably see a little bit of a bounce back and people are like, Oh, the knee, you know, well, it wasn't just the knee, man. He had an elbow inflammation last year. Mm. Um, and he was day to day for almost a month. Um, September, he would have probably been on the DL if it was, if it wasn't an expanded roster, uh, cause he missed 19 games. So. 
Uh, Latos, uh, I see shoulder, knee, uh, elbow in 2013, hip in 2013, uh, ankle in 2013. 2012 was pretty healthy, actually. And in 2011, he had a bursa sac uh, shoulder inflammation, which uh, sounds pretty dirty, if you ask me. <laughs> yeah. And he's... <clears throat> I mean, this uh, 2015 will be his age 28 season. Uh, he's, a, he's a pretty big guy. 6'6", six, yeah. six, six, six in the 240 to 250 range. Um, I mean, this is it, it strikes me as the type of pitcher, I'd hate to put him in that class just yet, but like that... Josh Johnson, where it's like, okay, you know, it's high next, next, next year is a, yeah, high effort. Next year is a good year to buy him. I would imagine relative to what he's usually cost. The question is, is does the name put him back up much higher than where he belongs? Yeah. And I, I think actually I have, I probably have two different uh, prognostications for him. I, I agree that I would, I would give him a slight buy in redraft leagues. I'd probably give him a sell in dynasty leagues because uh -huh. um, Good point. I think that sort of um, excitement for him right now in, in Miami and stuff is something that can almost trade better than um, having had a year in Miami, especially if you if he ends up on the DL again. Mm -hmm. um, so you're basically, it's almost like selling a guy who's a year away from free agency like the Reds did. You, you sell a guy who has a year in Miami, you don't know where he's going to be after that. Um, and so... <clears throat> you're 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 doing the same thing. You're kind of selling high. You're like he's got a year of free agency. He's got a year of, of, of arbitration control or stadium control. <laughs> <laughs> Fantasy. You know he's going to be in Miami this year. <clears throat> you know why don't you give me some good pieces for him? That's what I would do in a in a keeper. But in redraft. Hey, sure. actually, I would like to interject there. Uh, can we really say that he's definitely going to be in Miami all year. <laughs> no, we can't. You can't really say that about anybody in Miami. But um, uh, as for Di Scalfini, um, he just didn't really trust his changeup. And in terms of, like, uh, movement on the changeup, um, you know, it, it goes seven miles an hour uh, slower than his four seam. That's not ideal. You, right. you kind of have a bigger separation. But... Um, it has uh, four inches more horizontal movement than his four-seamer, which he uses a lot more than the sinker. And it drops uh, six inches more than his four-seamer. Um, and even when compared to his two-seamer, it drops um, <clears throat> you know, two to three inches more than his two-seamer. So by movement, his changeup is very easily distinguished from his uh, four-seamer and still easily distinguished from his sinker, not necessarily by uh, velocity. Uh, his slider is his uh, is his out pitch, um, <clears throat> and it had the best whiff rate. Eighteen percent is good. Uh, the fourteen, you know, fifteen percent whiff rate on the change plus that movement information makes me think that he he could still be a starter. Um, and um, you know, I don't know where he. he I, I would I guess I would think I would guess that the Reds will just, just slot him right into that rotation. Yeah, I would um, think that there's a decent. There, there are there are now openings. So, <laughs> at the very least, he's probably going to get a shot at one of them. I and, don't think the evidence is enough uh, and the opportunity is enough to uh, anoint him uh, right. a sleeper with a capital S. But, especially in leagues where, you know, warm bodies are big and opportunity uh, trumps uh, talent by a lot. I mean, there is a sort of mix, right? Uh, when you're in a 10 teeper talent trumps opportunity. Talent is the most important thing because you're looking for high-end talent. But when you're in a 20-teamer, um, you know, 
any schmo who actually plays every day becomes a lot more interesting. I call those the warm body league. So yeah. uh, in a warm body league, the Scalfini is definitely interesting. In a 10-teamer, he's definitely not interesting. I would stay away until you got more information. We're an AL-only league. I mean, he's definitely, you know, he could be interesting. NL only. All right. That's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or in case the Reds move to the, the junior circuit, you never know. <laughs> well, uh, uh, and we, you know, we talked a little bit. It looks like Singrani is a, is um, is on the depth chart again, Ooh. Uh, and if he's healthy, uh, he's at least demonstrated the ability and has an elite fastball. So, you know. yeah, and we could see how long that carries him again. Right, could be for another full season, perhaps. Kind of a one pitch pitcher, which is a little bit rough on the starter. Yes, and now uh, talked a little bit about Heaney, and like you said, I mean, there's still ace upside there potentially. And I, I mean, I, I can definitely see that, but the move to the, the halo is probably um, tempers your hope, I guess, a little bit also because of the move to the American League and he hadn't yet actually even worked things out in the National League, which is probably where he would have had, I, I, even to play amateur psychologist, like if he had some issues with like getting ready for starts mentally, uh, that it may be even a little tougher in the American League. Uh, so that may not necessarily be great for his development overall, but overall it's not necessarily a positive move for him still long-term. There's, there's reason to like, yes. Yeah. I think he might have the sort of opposite, uh, prognostication as, as Leto for me, which is I, I buy in dynasty leagues and sell in, in redraft. Um, yeah. you know, you don't, you don't know how, uh, the AL, the AL can really can really mess you up. So um, you know we don't know exactly if he couldn't if he didn't like blow the doors off the hinges in Miami, um, then uh, it's going to be harder. Although it, the nice thing is he did end up in a good park again. So, that is true. That is true. And maybe they you know maybe they have the ability you know they have a, a pretty awesome um, you know low velocity pitcher themselves in Jared Weaver. Um, so, and, uh, you know, Haney doesn't really throw his, uh, four seam, like it doesn't really have a four seam, but, uh, the one that he threw, I should, I'm not going to talk about one pitch, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, let's say that Haney, uh, adds a four seamer because Weaver, uh, does such a great job throwing even low velocity four seamers and changing eye levels and getting infield fly balls out of it, right? Yeah, he throws it. He throws it up a lot, right? Right. And I'm not saying that Weaver himself is going to tell um, Haney what to do, but what I'm saying is that pitching coach has worked with uh, Weaver, and he might watch Haney and say, you know, they're just expecting everything down, right? Because you go your sinker slider change, everything's down. What if you bust him up with a four seam? And then they're flailing away at your slider and change. Then, then you're 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 on easy street. So and, and light- Haney might say, oh, "I only throw 90. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then, and then the pitching coach would be like, "Jared Weaver throws eighty six and eighty seven. What are you yeah. kidding me? You're left handed." Yeah. So, um, and I think that uh, there is a little bit of pitching mix alteration chance for him. The nice thing for me is just the movement. Um, on the change is good, um, and uh, it, you know it has three, four more inches drop than his than his sinker, and uh, it is actually almost ten mile an hour difference. Um, so I think there's a I think there's an opportunity there for him yeah. uh, to sort of muck around with this pitch mix. And his his breaker actually has elite uh, had elite type outcomes. I mean, it had twenty seven 
uh, percent whiffs, which is elite for if you call it a slider, a slurve, or a curve. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's way interesting. Be and like, because I was going to say, like, don't assume there's going to be a Tyler Skaggs effect, but that's interesting. Like, there could be a Jared Weaver effect in a way that, and again, like, yeah, it's, it's far, it's far from conclusive, but that's, and that's a very interesting aspect that maybe that's not a bad place for him to develop. And now the reason that he ends up uh, in, in with the halos is because Howie Kendrick, I mean, Dodgers basically upgraded at second base, uh, at least in terms of player value when they got Howie Kendrick. Um, I mean, it doesn't really seem to be a whole lot to analyze in terms of his fantasy value. I don't think, whole lot changes be uh, the environment's a little different i guess the offense is not quite as good but uh they're gonna, I, they're, they're gonna let him run yeah i'm more interested in what's happening behind uh behind kendrick uh because it now i mean you know now there's an opportunity on a really good offense at, at a position of need um and the, the there's two or three i mean i, I guess they haven't actually uh, blocked um uh beckham back uh, so for right now, it looks like Rutledge and Green, um, and they're really uh, unexciting options, especially taking Rutledge out of, of Colorado because, you know, Colorado inflates Babbitt and, and Rutledge's best year, um, he had a 3.23 on base percentage due to a 3.53 Babbitt. So, yeah. and I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I mean, even uh, basically there was a distinct difference between all his road numbers ever, and and I mean he was just better at home, which. Happens to a lot of Colorado hitters, but that seems to happen more so to hitters who are just not very good. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. His, oh, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> his, uh, his away slash line is 230, 274, 354. So that's a 600 OPS for you scoring at home, uh, a 120 ISO, and offense that's 30% worse than league average. Yeah, that doesn't sound, that sounds like Grant Green is a nice sleeper. Well, he's what's funny also is he's not known for his gloves. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Unless he's uh, hits a ton of line drives, um, which I think is possible. Uh, it's possible. It's not probable. It's possible. I mean, he is kind of that kind of hitter. He's he's not uh, he's not like a pull you know power guy. He's a, he's kind of a spray you know and has decent power and some speed. There could be a chance that he pushes his Babbitt to like 320 and has like a 250, 260 average. It hits at the bottom of the order and has, you know, you know Kendrick Light type stats where he's 10-10 or something, uh, 260. That's, that is not uh, impossible. And, you know. For if, Rutledge, you mean. Flaws, for all his flaws, he's got the exact same flaws as, as Green, where okay. Green's not known for his glove. He's been below replacement for his career. Uh, he had a 1.9% walk rate last year, um, meaning he walked once. Is that what that means? <laughs> he walked twice. He walked twice in 103 plate appearances. Um, and uh, that's pretty bad. He got caught four times uh, trying to steal. He's tried to steal five times, got caught four times. Um, hasn't yet demonstrated the power he's shown in the minor leagues and the major leagues. Uh, but has maybe demonstrated uh, some maybe a little bit better power in the minor leagues than uh, than Rutledge. Anyway, this is probably something to stay away from in mixed leagues, but it's very interesting. In I I think that I'm not gonna uh, I'm not gonna declare it right now because from the numbers they're very similar guys. Bad glove, bad patience, a little bit too few too many strikeouts, some power upside, some speed upside. 
I think that spring training will be a big deal for these guys. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would, I would tend to think so as well. And now, um, <clears throat> Taylor Featherston is, I guess, is another player who enters that equation. We, we don't probably talk. I mean, that's that's something that'll end up in preseason podcasts as well when we start looking at like. But that's yeah. a player that they acquired Rule Five, and he's got some power speed as well. Who's that? Uh, uh, Taylor Featherston, if I'm not oh. mistaken. Yeah, they're, they're, it's kind of all over the place. Uh, in in well, as far as the Halos, I mean, it, what's interesting about the Halos is they definitely were willing to trade Howie Kendrick. They just weren't definitely willing to come up with a surefire backup plan but i mean jetson dude they do have a they do have a bad patience right do too many strikeouts and power and speed upside that is hilarious so and it's going to be interesting what what we do know is because it's a good offense and those players have some upside in both the home run and stolen base categories or a tiny bit of it in one place or the other that we will be of it will be of interest in deep leagues uh, so we'll have to you know, we'll be breaking those guys down. I'm sure more in the in the future. We talked also about Chase Headley, and he, obviously he's back with the Yankees. Uh, if anything, this probably says more about their confidence in A Rod, I would imagine. But uh, I mean, there's not like other than hope. Hope. I guess if you're a fantasy owner and you like Headley, you hope that uh, there's not too much um, overvaluation of the move back to the great ballpark. I mean, he just he he performed better with them, and I think. Part of that's just related to health, but uh, I mean, he certainly looks like one of those guys who, if he's like kind of a, a low end starting third baseman, that's not a bad deal. Yeah, you know, the, I had some blowback uh, saying that it was a good deal for in real life terms, and I I, I stand behind that because I believe in Headley's defense, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and I looked at uh, the last four years, and he was worth six wins with his bat alone, so. Since I believe in his defense, and he was worth six wins with his bat alone, even if you uh, you know you know age that um, with the defense, I think he's definitely worth his contract. I think it was one of the better contracts of the offseason, and I like it. Uh, but I said that on Twitter, and I got a lot of blowback. Guys, you know, one guy said his away on base percentage last year was three hundred nine. Uh, yeah, that was his away on base percentage in, in two hundred and forty plate appearances. How let's 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 embiggen that sample just a bit. Uh, <laughs> If you take his uh, 2,000 uh, plate appearances away, um, he has a 285, 359, 440 line. That doesn't interest you? I think that interests me a lot. I, I, I think that'll be a, a, a good uh, baseline for his stats next year, a 155 ISO. So basically what I'm saying is league average power, uh, good uh, batting average, um, you know, good line drive guy, um, and... Uh, you know he's thirty, so you got to age a lot of that. So, you know, I'm I'm gonna just probably no. I I'm more bullish than his steamer. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna give him I'm gonna give him some love. I'm gonna give him like a 275, 280 average. Uh, steamer gives him 155 ISO, 15 homers, uh, only 524 plate appearances. That's worth mentioning because his back has has been has been difficult, and apparently the Giants didn't want to go to four years because of that back. So. Mm-hmm. You know, but before last year's 531, he had 699 plate appearances and 600 plate appearances. Um, he's hit 600 player plate appearances in four of the last six seasons, and the other two he had 430 and 530. So you could up that plate appearance total to 550, 560, and now you're talking about 16 homers, 70 RBIs, 70 
uh, runs, five, six stolen bases, 280 average. That's going to be top 10 in his position. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he's He seems like floor player is not, it's not really a bad deal at their base. Um, and, and then it could, you know, it could be, it, the, the ceiling could be a little bit better. I mean, it's not, it, we won't, even uh, in a move to Yankee Stadium, we're not looking for a 30 home run season again. But, uh, I mean, there's always a possibility of 20 homers. So, it, it, it doesn't seem like a bad deal. Um, Jed Lowry to Houston, that, that it's, I guess it's conceivable that that's a bad deal in real life. But this is just, this remains an unexciting player to me, I'm imagining to you as well. Lowry, when I asked him about his injuries uh, in, in an interview a couple of years ago, I, I, uh, I, you know, he was like, well, you know, they were all freak, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, I don't know if I agree with him. You know, I agree with him. Yes, uh, you know, he got run into pretty badly at um, at second base, and there was an ankle thing, and that kind of lingered. But th- those things lingered, and uh, and then you know he had this healthy year with uh, the Athletics, and it was a really good year. Uh, but then he kind of uh, in 2014 kind of regressed and, and missed time with with Knicks and Knacks and the little kind of things that you might um, associate with him in the past. So. Uh, I, I, I think he is a little bit injury prone. And so I'm not going to, I'm not going to push his, his steamer projection is 558. I'm not pushing that. I think he's going to be hurt off and on. Uh, I think the power, uh, the power boost might be good. It might even be better than what steamer said. He has them at 140 and 12 homers. Um, he had 15 homers with the, uh, the athletics and he had 16 homers the last time he was with the Astros. So, um, you know, I think he could uh, get to that 15, 16 level again, even if he was hurt. And that 16 homers with the Astros was in 387 plate appearances. Oh, that's so true. there's an outside chance of, you know, 15 to 20 homers in there. Um, you know, he's a good on-base percentage guy. And the fact that he's not good at defense at second is not a big deal in, in um, on-base percentage. I mean, in, in uh, uh, keep uh, short It's not a big deal. It's not – it's bad for keeper leagues because he may get moved off a shortstop. They have Carlos Correa coming. Uh, they have they have depth concerns. He might end up in super utility. Um, he might end up at third if they finally get tired of Matt Dominguez. So there's there's a couple of places where he can move because his, his defense isn't great, and yeah. he's probably uh, a stopgap. So in dynasty leagues, he's not a great acquisition. He's kind of a, he would be a stopgap for your dynasty league too, uh, but. Uh, I do think his numbers went in next year, even if there's not more volume, I think there's going to be more quality. Yeah. And it's, it's, you make a good point about his OBP uh, because it's, it seems in my experience, it's been a tough, it's especially tough to find uh, a positive or even a kind of a league average OBP guy at shortstop. Um, yeah. So there's, there's, there's kind of that, uh, <laughs> I guess that doesn't really sound like as big of an endorsement as I thought it would, but um and there is, uh, there is, you know, potential, I guess, for league average or better power, which is also kind of difficult to find a shortstop if you find your stolen bases and other things like that in other areas. A uh, couple of players who moved to KC. Uh, I mean, if you're looking to kind of salvage power late in your career, that's these seems like these seem like not the moves for Alex Rios and Kendrick Morales. Rios may not necessarily be looking to salvage power, but that's kind of the way Morales would make his money. I guess now that he's making his money, it doesn't matter as much. But <laughs> yeah, I mean Rios. Rios had a career high in stolen bases at uh, 31 years old, mm-hmm. or 32 years old in 2013. Um, you know, 
Yeah, it's probably not the best place for him to have a power bounce back. Um, but if it's the Go-Go Royals, and it really does seem to be the Go-Go Royals, uh, he has a better track record than, you know, we kind of thought, we were, I, I don't want to get uh, too uh, into this because, you know, Aoki was supposed to go over there and steal 30, and he didn't. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Rios has a better track record of stolen bases, uh, even if it's been a little yo-yo, and, and his whole career has been a, a crazy yo-yo. Mm. Um, I do think that uh, he could steal more bases next year and could could steal as much as sort of 25 maybe. Um, I'll probably take the under on the steamer homers at 12. It's just a really bad situation for him. And he hit four with the Rangers, and he's 33 years old, and he's had his power has really oscillated over his career. So, um, you know, eight, nine, ten homers, uh, 25 stolen bases. Uh, 275 average. I'll, I'll take the over on his uh, steamer. Um, take more something closer to his uh, career batting average. So, what's that for you? I mean, that's uh, that's a low end uh, third outfielder, I think. Or, mm-hmm. You know, maybe a decent third outfielder. It's a it's for fantasy. Uh, it, I used to. It's it's been a while since I've updated these numbers, and the league has changed a little bit, but. Uh, at one point, uh, an, an average uh, fantasy outfielder in a 12-team league um, hit like 12 homers and, and stole uh, like 16 bases or something. So he has the, he still has the skills for fantasy uh, to to be even a league average outfielder, which sounds more like a, a second outfielder. So I don't know. I mean, as long as you make an investment like the Royals made, where it's a one-year deal, uh, hey. Would maybe I maybe I'd spend eleven bucks on them, you know. I could see myself. <laughs> I could see myself coming in at a little under eleven, or at least in a mixed league. Uh, but I think what well, that's what like, he strikes me is because before. the combination of health history and things like that. Just like I feel like this is going to be a bad team in KC. Like it's not you know uh, already. Um, yeah. And and maybe that probably is playing into it, but uh, I, I guess. You know, Morales, the, the Morales, Morales could really, if, if Morales and Rios both suck, then the team might suck. And then, uh, but you know, they did what they did last year without uh, a DH. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. I mean, can can That's Morales true. do what what Butler did last year? Or I feel like probably. But they also, uh, I, I guess, like I looked at is like uh, Lorenzo Cain. Probably uh, that was that was close to career year if it wasn't career year for Cain. Jared Speaking Dice. of health issues, his health issues are worse than, than yes. Rios. Yes, and then um, Jared Dyson probably had a better year than expected in terms of batting average. Probably some bad. He might get overexposed in terms of platoon issues and strikeout issues. He might get overexposed if they play him every day. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's like Gordon's a year older. Yeah, they has just caught infinity games. <laughs> yes, he's. I think he actually caught more games than the Royals played last year. <laughs> they, uh, they, they, they're going to probably lose Shields. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, something us to talk about Finnegan. Um, so that actually yes. seems like a time we can maybe look at it more quick. Um, he didn't throw his change much because he was in relief, and you know he actually didn't throw anything other than a sinker much. <laughs> um, but. Um, the change was ahead of the slider on outcomes. Uh, let me see what it looks like uh, in movement. Um, moves a little bit less horizontally than a sinker, uh, but 
uh, drops two, two and a half inches more, and uh, almost 10 mile an hour difference. So I think the change has what it takes. The, the slider's pretty slow at 82 miles an hour. That's a slow slide. That's more, that's, that's verging on, um, on curve uh, situation. But the movement is um, actually kind of slurvy. Yeah. Now, was I mean, referring to a question we had a, a listener ask about, you know, is is Brandon Finnegan going to become a starter? But if, and that goes along with, I mean, like you're saying, he has a repertoire. It sounds like to do it, and that, I think that was kind of the Royals' intent when they drafted him. Certainly, yeah. he they drafted him only this past season. I mean, he he strikes me as, and I I think I've seen this speculated on before, but like he basically he made like if you're looking for him to be a starter in the next year. That's not necessarily a good plan, but he could be on kind of the Chris Sale plan uh, where in the next, like in a couple of years, he becomes a regular member of the rotation. Uh, and as I long as you hope for him in terms of uh, starting than I do for, you know, sort of Wade Davis, Wade Davis. Right. Uh, and even when Wade Davis was in the pen and had tried starting and had that sort of, you know, will he start again? Will he be good when he starts? I didn't really think he had the arsenal to do it. Right. Whereas, again, I think has the arsenal. You know, the velocity looked good, uh, especially for a lefty. The velocity looked good um, in short stints at 92.5. Uh, you know, that's going to drop. Uh, on average, that should drop to about 91.5, which is still above average for a lefty. Lefty average is 90.5. Um, so he'll still be above average velocity, still have two pitches have demonstrated the ability to get swing strikes out of the pen. A lot of grounders on that sinker. They say they're going to stretch him out in spring training, and, and if that uh, comes to fruition, um, then I would uh, I would pay attention to that. That, that would be that would make him a, a very good um, back end of a only uh, pickup, and even maybe a bench mixed league pickup. I mean, he has he has good stuff. He's right now he's battling. Uh, some no names for fifth in the rotation with uh, Lamb and Brooks and Zimmer needs to show he's healthy. So mm-hmm. uh, there's, a, there's a chance he just you know it'd be tough for him to have the innings to to start all season. So you know you can't you can't really uh, pencil him in for much more than uh, he got drafted last year. So I have to do some quick uh, googling. Um, yeah, when probably ballparking we could, were 125 to 150 innings. So. Yeah, let me. You know, I use the baseball cube for this mm-hmm. um, because it has uh, their college stats um, right there. And let's see here. In last year, including the NCAA, oh, he actually threw uh, 105 innings in in college. So uh, 27, uh, 27, 34. He actually threw 140 innings last year. Okay, so so we could be looking at 160 plus. Yeah, if you're if he's your fifth starter too, 160 might get through through most of the season. So I'm uh I'm liking this guy. I'm liking this guy. I'm uh, I'm going to pay attention to the reports. Um, I'm going to try and, and get him in in onlys for cheap, and uh, and if the reports are all good through spring training, I'll probably put him on some mixed league benches. Very interesting. Very he is he is an interesting player, and it's not just because of how he performed at times in the postseason for the Royals. Um, some other things, real quick, to run down. I mean, Irvin Santana, Minnesota to Minnesota. Uh, 
I mean, at this point, we kind of know what Irvin Santana is. He's, you know, he's capable of being better than a league average pitcher. Uh, we saw it at times last season with, with this past season with Atlanta. Uh, Brandon McCarthy to the Dodgers. Well, that's got to be, well, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead on, uh, on Santana. Just real quickly, I think the increased uh, change of usage um, is going to be good for him. As a fly ball guy going into Minnesota, I think he could see a lot better uh, Babbitt behind him next year. Um, and I'm not the steamer projection to go back to his homer issues, but if the changeup change is real and he he threw it all year um, and he threw it 10%, so it's something he believes in. Um, I think that's going to be a big deal because I think the homer issue was the fact they didn't have a change and lefties teed off on him. I mean, it wasn't a park issue. You saw he gave up a, a, a more than a homer per nine in in Anaheim and in Kansas City, but. Uh, I do think that the changeup change could mean this .73 homer per night that he had last year is real. And if you take a, a third of a homer per game off of that line, you're going to look a lot like last year's 395-131 ERA whip with the Braves. Um, you know, added strike up upside. Then what's the, I'm basically what I'm saying is I'm taking Erwin um, uh, Santana's uh, season next year over uh, steamer production. Uh, yeah, you know what? You make a great point because, uh, well, a combination of things there, but like the, the, basically, yeah, Steamer is harder on the strikeouts uh, than it looks like they should be, uh, and also he seems to uh, be. There's a reason to kind of fade some of the other numbers as well, um, and and he could actually. I mean, I, I guess if you're if you if you're looking at it too that way, um, I mean, he could he could end up being at least in single year leagues, he could be a buy. I mean, that, that would be interesting to see, I think, uh, as far as where he's kind of going. I mean, the, when you come off a not-so-great year with the Braves, people kind of that, – that tends to be a thing that affects people's views negatively, I think. And then you move to Minnesota, which is generally thought of as a lesser team. Yeah, yeah, he, he's, he, he, he's an interesting stock, as I guess. I don't, and I, don't have a, I don't have a reason for his batting average on balls and play getting better um, necessarily because the Braves had great outfield defense and – for the most part, infield defense, unless you know a lot of balls are finding their way through the second base hole, um, I don't, I don't have a real good reason for uh, his Babbitt. But um, you know, career uh, Babbitt two eighty six, three nineteen last year. You know, there's a reason to think that he could even do better than Braves numbers last year. Mm-hmm. You know, so I uh, he's he's risky because if you look at his career, he's had some great years and he's had some terrible years. Had some years where. If you owned him that year on the cheap, you you know he was like your your MVP in that he he cost you you know a couple bucks and gave you you know fifteen. Uh, and then he had other years where he cost you fifteen and gave you a buck. So um, just don't spend you know fifteen on. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> try to get him number two and, and try to get him in that in that territory. So that is, I think that's sound advice. Don't spend fifteen on Santana. Yeah. Uh, no matter the league, uh, well, maybe AL only. You're kind of uh, your approach, but even then, that seems that's pretty pricey. Um, Brendan McCarthy. Uh, this is a take I want to. Uh, I want your take on McCarthy because obviously we we know when it was Chronicle. We something we talked about at times last season uh, that the change up, or I'm sorry, cutter usage for him was um, was made a pretty distinct difference. And, and, and a lot of things. I mean, you know, the Yankees. Yeah, yeah they did the research and. And uh, sequencing and things like that. They, in general, they they changed a little bit of his repertoire, uh, uh, which was different from the way they, they used him in Arizona. 
And that seemed to make a huge difference in the outcomes, even though, I mean, he had all these great peripheral numbers and they and the outcomes were terrible. Now, move to Dodgers, they're probably, I mean, if, if they did their homework, they're going to kind of follow that same pattern and say they don't really care uh, if, if this leads to health issues for him. We want the good results. Uh, and it's back to the NL. I mean, is this is this a move that you like? Yeah, very much so. I mean, from a realized standpoint, what I what I like best about it is that um, he, uh, uh, you know, the the contract pays him, uh, you know, to, to to pitch like 120 innings uh, a season. So they don't even care if uh, they don't need him to pitch 200 for for, for four seasons to be worth that. Wow. Uh, so I like the contract a lot. Um, and then in terms of, uh, of you know, what he's going to do, um, you know, another thing the Yankees did was uh, have him throw the four seam more. And I just did, uh, you know, a first shot at an Arsenal score on fan graphs, on rotographs today. And uh, in that, um, I just basically took Z scores for a, a player's uh, pitch type for, uh, for uh, swing strikes and for ground ball. Uh, rates and I and I just added up the Z scores um, and uh, McCarthy did okay overall. But the thing that was really surprising to me is he had the top four seamer by Z scores in baseball this year by starter. Um, so you know a lot of his velocity increase came from that that four seam. And his uh, I mean yeah his sinker was uh, about two two miles per hour slower than it had been in the past, uh, faster than it had been in the past. So that's good. Uh, but his max speed on the four seam was 93.5 uh, in a, in a, for uh, his average speed on that. So um, if he can even, he'll probably drop off a little bit. I mean, he was sitting in the, you know around 90, 91 before. But if he drops down to even average um, velocity for a right-hander, is 91 and a half, 92. Um, I think the the cutter is nice. Uh, the curve is really nice, and the sinker is special. So um, it's it's an arsenal that doesn't have a changeup in it, and it's, I don't care. I mean, it, it, you know, with the with the four seam high, the sinker low, the cutter uh, vertical, and the curve, uh, the cutter having horizontal movement, and the, the curve having vertical movement. He's got a lot of different things he can do with that ball. Yes, uh, I mean McCarthy is he's he is a diverse. Well, potentially really diverse pitcher, good combination of the increased velocity. What nauseates me about uh, just checking out your list, and what nauseates me about it is uh, Carlos Carrasco way at the top by so much. I mean, geez, we're we're going to be sprouting some serious um, uh, <laughs> uh, wood for. I, I could say that because it's a baseball thing uh, for Carrasco this coming season. I can see it and, uh, look out. So the I only thing, the only thing, the only thing that I, I hope it is, doesn't happen is that we don't, uh, over inflate, uh, and he doesn't turn out to be uh, as big a head case as he was in the past and really kind of flop, but gosh, he's, he is mighty intriguing. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to pay, uh, you know, ace like prices. I mean, Salazar went for 17 in AL labor last year. That's my Crash fear. That's my fear is that there's a Salazar effect on him. Yeah. And, and I don't know. I mean, there's still command issues. Also, yes. he had such a big velocity bump this season because he was in the pen. Right, right. Um, don't, don't, uh, yeah, don't put too much stock in that. Yeah. And so what happens when he, when he stretched out to start all year? What does that velocity look like? And how does that uh, interact with his lack of control? So uh, he does. I mean, not control command. So if he has bad command on a on a four seamer that's you know two two miles per hour slower because he's starting all year, I think he will have different outcomes. 
So, I mean, the Carrasco, I'll pay, I'll pay maybe 10 bucks for him. I mean, I, I yeah. see him as like a, a nice uh, a sleeper. I want to pay like SP2, SP3 prices for him and then get an ace out of him. Right. But uh, I'm not going to pay SP1. Play. I got um, Sonny Gray and uh, Alex Cobb last year for less than Danny Salazar went for. Um, and those and, were definitely better buys. <laughs> right? So I feel like in general, I would try, I would watch out for him. Uh, Carlos Martinez was near the top of that list, and I, I fudged him in because I was trying to look just at starters. I just think he's going to start next year, and I was surprised when I looked at Carlos Martinez um, that uh, his sinker was the second best overall, not just among starters. So he had he was up there with relievers with the sinker, uh, second best to Aaron Sanchez. His curve was third best behind Cecil and David Robertson. Um, so yeah, I can't help but think, like you said, I mean, you say in there that I mean, this is a uh, I can't help but think that there's going to be some kind of significant discount for relieving or something like that based on some of these things. But they also pushed his they yeah yeah uh, definitely I think I think I have to put a a, a quantity uh, thing in there um, because the, if you throw a pitch you know a little bit of the time and people aren't ready for it then they'll whiff it at it more. But if you throw a pitch over and over again like Felix Fernandez's changeup right he throws that thing a ton yeah. Uh, and it goes 91, and, and you know they still can't hit it. So uh, I, I think I need to put in something for quantity uh, in there. Uh, but um, you know, Carlos Martinez showed up on that list. Marcus Stroman uh, showed up high on that list. I like that. T.J. House is an immediate sleeper for me now that I look at him through this lens. I did like uh, T.J. House. He was an interesting pitcher. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, left Brett, being left-handed. That's uh, that helps him. Yeah. Brandon McCarthy actually showed, did show up in my top 30. Yep. Uh, and other sleepers I had were Miley, uh, you know, Alan Webster. It's funny. Alan Webster, uh, I was talking about him, and all the Boston guys said, no, 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 dude. You, you should see him on the mound. He has no composure and no ability on the mound. Uh, to, he looks like he can't hang in there at all. He can't command the ball. He has no idea where it's going. You know what, who we said all these things about? I mean, literally. Literally, we said all these things about Carlos Carrasco. I mean, we said <laughs> – Oh, I said, I think Carlos Carrasco sleeper. The Cleveland people said, oh, you should see him on the mound. He has no idea what he's doing. He can't find the command. So, Yeah, um, but basically what, basically what you're saying is like they, they've, they've already typecast him as a guy who's never going to succeed mentally. And it's like there's, that, that can change just as much as the physical stuff can change. And you know what could really do it is going to the NL, man. Yeah. Maybe, maybe the Diamondbacks say, you know what, dude? You know, maybe you can nibble and worry about the three and four hitter. But this is a Freaking National League, dude. When it gets to six, seven, eight, nine, just freaking throw the ball. And then Webster, you know, gets through the gets through a couple weak lineups a couple times. And it's like, you know what, dude? I'm just gonna throw I'm the rocking. ball yeah. all the time. You know? Maybe he's like, you know what? I'm not in the in the uh, the pressure cooker of Beantown anymore. I'm pitching in freaking Arizona. Like there are yeah. like there are like thirty seven thousand people that follow baseball around here. So, well, at least. I'm I also think that uh, he was 92 last year. Uh, I think everything looks better at 94. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you know, at 24, I don't think that this is um, that this is written in stone yet that he's going to be uh, 92 going forward. So, if he can get that back up to 94, uh, everything changes. I mean, just look at Tim Lincecum. Tim Lincecum had bad command um, and a lot of great secondary stuff. And when he was 94, he was great. So. Um, I think Webster, Carrasco, a lot of these guys are guys you want to own during their peaks, um, and then you uh, you want to pick the right time to get rid of them. Um, 
which maybe Boston did. I'm not saying I know I know for sure Webster's in there, but Webster has a lot of things going for him, and I uh, wouldn't get too shouted down by the people who uh, say he's no good. Yes. Now we're going to be wrapping up here in just a sec. I just wanted to, uh, as we get there, uh, so certainly Arizona has acquired, because they also got Ruby De La Rosa and that Wade Miley deal and uh, another player, Raymel Flores. But uh, And Miley's a pitcher you kind of – seems like Arizona got a lot of interesting pieces for a Wade Miley, even though Wade Miley might be kind of interesting as well. But uh, they also – they also now – Correct me if I'm wrong, but when we've talked about the issues for Justin Masterson. This almost strikes me as a deal where Boston said, you know what? I mean, it's like they did that twice, except for the fact that this organization seems to be uh, smarter than this. But uh, it's like they brought back Hanley Ramirez. Oh, we started you know, letting him go. And then Justin Masterson, oh, like maybe he's still going to be good. But we know that Masterson has still has the real issues with retiring left-handed hitters, and this doesn't really seem to have the – the pitch consistent enough still to do that and the, and the control problem. So uh, he's, he's like a pitcher that would not really be interesting fantasy owners. Well, at least fantasy owners like you and I, I would have sat, uh, imagine now that he's back in Boston. Yes. Um, I mean, the nice thing is that the, on that contract, he can still be a relief ace for them. And uh, I'm sure they didn't sell him on that. I'm sure that they saw <laughs> on opportunity in the, in the starting rotation but if you look at the starting rotation right now, you've got Rick, uh, Clay, I'm going to say their first names because I always screw up their last names, uh, Miley, uh, let's just say Rick, Clay, Wade, Joe. Uh, I think those guys are... Joe uh, Kelly. Yes. Uh, I think those you guys can say are, that name. Yeah, I can say that name. <laughs> I think those guys are set. Um, and I love, 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 love Henry Owens. I mean, uh, Alan Webster is like, um, is like a curiosity for me. It's like, why... Why does everyone hate him so much? There's got to be something here. Henry Owens, a lot of people love. He's I legit love good. You've totally turned me on to him. So um, I think Henry Owens could take a, a spot in that rotation. He's he's really built up the innings. He's been up to AAA. He's, there's nothing, um, nothing, uh, nothing stopping him. So um, you know, if Masterson uh, and and I think that what's happened with Masterson is this is that. And this is, this is, I think, the source of platoon splits. Because someone said to me, R.J. Anderson said to me, it doesn't matter what the pitch classification is. It's how they use the pitch. Um, and, uh, and I'm like, sure, sure, sure. But the reason that sliders have platoon splits in general is because you have an idea of how you want to apply the pitch, and then you miss that idea, and then it gets whooped right. uh, <laughs> because of the movement. So. Um, I, I think that that I, I feel still feel confident in talking about um, I still feel confident in talking about uh, uh, sliders as having platoon splits and that a fastball slider guy, um, you know, might have issues. And then, you know, specifically with Masterson, um, you know, the years where he has some issues um, with his health in, in particular have been the years where he's had bad command. And the years where he's had bad command and issues with his health have been the years where he's been the worst. So the years where he's been mostly healthy the whole season, um, he's had a lot better outcomes. So if they get him and he's healthy and he's got a good command year, um, maybe they get um, you know a decent league average like league average type uh, starter for nine million dollars. That's a good real life deal. It's not a great fantasy deal. Uh, a league average starter in fantasy, you know, uh, is is only fodder right yes 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 and 
I, I think uh, only fodder for masters is, is kind of a good place to end it. Uh, I'm going to leave you on a note to, you know, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, we, we talked about the trades uh, where players ended up with the Dodgers. Uh, and one of those, I just want uh, to end on a note with a hitter as well. And it's a shame that he probably won't have much of an opportunity to be more than a bench player, but uh Kike Hernandez, one of your favorite low-end or, or below-the-radar guys, uh, ends up uh, with with a spot in, in, in on the Dodgers. Uh, I, I imagine that this is a guy that, if he gets an opportunity, is, is a guy in a deep league that you, he will be somebody that you keep your eye on as well. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know where it'll be. He's played all over. He might be their super utility guy. You know, yes. their new. Um, but if Howie Kendrick gets injured or something like that, like that's junior, and you know, yeah, he's ever since he made a, a, a change in, um, ever since he made a change in his his, his uh, approach, uh, he, he had a toe tap thing. I asked him about, um, you know, he's he's had better uh, contact rates and stuff like that. So uh, I, I think low strikeout uh, rates, an okay walk rate, about league average, I would say, or close yeah. to. So well, there's better. something there, and um, yeah, but uh, a deep leaguer also. We yeah. we we specialize in in, in spotting <laughs> deep leaguers. Yes, you know. Thank you very much for joining us. You do have to run, uh, and right yes, uh, we will be looking forward to talking many more many more deals in, in future podcasts, and we'll be getting to a lot more user questions. Thank you as always. You know, uh, enjoy your days at the ballparks uh, coming and wherever else you may need to end up. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yes. And uh, I am your host, Nicholas Minix. Thank you very much for joining us all for episode number 183. This is The Sleeper and the Bust. Boom. Boom. Boom.